including those listening online this morning. Uh, we have some special guests all the way from Illinois, Paul and Debbie, visiting some grandkids here in town. Um, we're going to be in Luke 24 this morning. We want to start with a word of prayer. So, Jeff, would you please lead us? Father, we come humbly before you today, Lord. We are eager for be in your word, for instruction. We pray you would speak through Pastor Dave, Lord, as he brings what he studied to us today. May you open our ears and our hearts to Jesus. Amen. So I know this will be a little harder because there's been two weeks since we were in Luke. So I'll give you a little slack for not just jumping all over these review questions. But uh, hopefully it'll start stirring up some memory here. So um, remember from Good Friday, what is the significance of darkness in the afternoon when Jesus dies? Right. It's a visual representation of God's judgment falling on Jesus. And what was the significance of the veil being torn in two? First of all, what was the veil? Okay, yeah, a symbol of the separation between God and man. And how big was it? Was it just a skinny little curtain? Okay. Like, it was 90 feet tall, 60 feet wide, 5 inches thick. So... That just doesn't rip by itself. And I think one of the other Gospels specifically says it was torn from top to bottom, which is rather fitting, isn't it? So what does it mean now that that's been torn? Separation. I mean, the separation is no longer access. Yeah, access would be the word I'd like to use. Yeah, (laughs) Access to God is now open through Jesus. Before... One person once a year on the Day of Atonement could go, that's it. And now, remember we look at Hebrews 10, we have access with confidence into God's presence through Jesus. How strongly did the women believe that Jesus was risen when they went to the tomb on the first Easter morning? They didn't. They didn't. Good answer. (laughs) They didn't believe it at all. Because they're bringing spices to anoint a dead body. They're not coming to have an Easter sunrise service. What should they have remembered? Scripture. The word. Okay, whose word? God's word. Jesus. Okay, yeah, so remember the angel says, do you not remember he said? This would happen. So they should remember Jesus told them, and we looked at some of the texts in Luke 9 and other places where Jesus specifically predicts, I will rise again on the third day. So they should have remembered that, and they didn't. So what do they do next, and how do the disciples respond? They go and tell the disciples, and the disciples don't believe. Right. Uh, It says they would not believe, and what did it seem to them to be? That's Mary's question when she gets there, but by the time we get to the disciples, what do they call this story from the women? Nonsense. It's like, this is crazy. Dead people don't rise from the dead. 
Okay. Um, what are some clues that Cleopas and his companion had access to? Everything. Well, okay, let's get a little more specific than that. And John, I know you're just dying, but let's give everybody a shot. Mm -hmm. So what kind of pieces of the puzzle did they have already? Okay, and what else do they have? So that would be covered Good Friday. What did they have going for them on Easter? What did they know about Easter so far? They did not find his body. Okay, so they know the body's gone. What else do they know? Angels said he was alive. So supposedly there's some angels in the picture saying he's alive. What else do they know? This is the third day. Third day? Some, something specific about the third day is supposed to happen. What else do they know? They know about John and Peter going to the tomb and checking out the story, right? And... That also includes what piece of information? <clears throat> the tomb isn't really empty. What's still in there? The rags. Right. The, the wrappings, the, the grave clothes are still there. So I would kind of rule out someone just took the body. They won't take the time to wrap it or unwrap it. So they have all those clues, and yet they're not getting it. And... Um, so let's read uh, 25 through 27. Somebody read Luke 24, 25 through 27. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Thank you. So, back in verse 16, we saw their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. So they didn't know it was Jesus, but that doesn't mean they could, could have and shouldn't have put the pieces together from all the stuff they had, especially what? Slow of heart to believe what? The resurrection. Right, but what testimony to the resurrection? The, the scripture. It's okay to be slow to believe the women. It's okay to be slow to believe the other apostles. It's okay to be slow to believe these other things. But don't be slow to believe the scriptures, because the scripture said this would happen. It is necessary for the Christ to suffer and come back into his glory. So... That's where he finds fault. Not that you didn't know it was me, because their eyes were prevented from seeing him, but they had enough information from the scriptures to know the resurrection would happen, because God said it would happen. Does that make sense? So he's not hating on them for being dumb. He's saying, you should have 
reasonably been expected to understand what the scriptures said. And then all this confirmation from the women and the apostles would say, yeah, but the scriptures alone are enough to bring about faith in the resurrection. John? I have a question about that. So why would God, I'm assuming God, um, keep them from recognizing him right away? Is that still part of his plan? Or? Don't know, and it's gonna that'll change in just a few minutes, oh, so yeah. hang in there. <laughs> but again, I think it accentuates the fact, don't just, okay, I get this supernatural, oh, this is Jesus. It's Even without knowing that's Jesus, I know enough from the scriptures okay. that the resurrection must happen. Okay, I think that's the point. Pardon me? Yeah, I mean, it says... Um, oh foolish men and slow of heart to believe so foolish not in as a harsh insult and insulting their intelligence just a gentle reproof like you should have seen this I mean the example I can think of is like you're doing a math problem with your kids and homework and it's like just don't you get it I mean this this is not we're not trigonometry here this is real basic math stuff you should be able to get this at your level you're not thinking. You're not using your head. You're not putting it together. So not in a, you dumb kid. It's a, come on, think. And I think that's the flavor of what Jesus is saying to the Cleopas and his friends. Like, you really should be getting this because the scriptures were there all along. So you're slow to believe what you should believe. Okay, any other comments or questions on what we've had so far? Let's keep going then. Verses 28 to 31. 28 to 31. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. So, so John, there's the the mystery solved. (laughs) He doesn't keep them in suspense the whole time. So how is it that they now recognize it's Jesus? And there's two pieces of it. Okay, good. And 35 will confirm that he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. So what do you suppose that's about? What would be a clue in Jesus breaking the bread that they would have gone, oh, that must be Jesus. Last Supper, very possibly. Although Cleopas and his friend probably weren't there. But good guess. Okay, so, so feeding of 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000, breaking of the bread, blessing it. And one other one, which we're not told, but it's at least a theory. I am the bread of life. That Jesus was the bread that was blessed. The sacraments? Okay. <laughs> You're not reading my mind. Okay, uh, not doing the Jedi thing, strong enough. 
Okay, so when, when you pick up a piece of bread, what can you see? Hands. We know there's still nail prints in the hands of Jesus, right? So I think that's what gave it away. Right? I mean, if you're just walking from Jerusalem to um, where are going? Emmaus, you're not necessarily looking at the other guy's hands. You're just talking, right? You're... But when they pick up this bread and break it and bless it, there's these hands that have these big holes in them or scars in them. I think, I think that's what tripped it. But doesn't tell us that, but there are other references to that fact that Jesus' hands still have the holes in them that confirm that idea anyway. And the other piece, so in the breaking of the bread, possibly because of the hands, but for, for whatever reason, breaking the bread, but what else is the main thing. Their eyes were open. Eyes were open. Remember, 16 says, their eyes were prevented, and now their eyes are open. So God is the one <laughs> actively showing, this is Jesus now. They couldn't figure that out on their own, even though they had all those clues, including the scripture. But when God opens their eyes, the lights go on. Okay? Just... Kind of a parallel to all of us, isn't it? We don't know who Jesus is until God uh, gives us the light right. of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Second Corinthians four six. Okay, any questions on that? All right, let's read thirty two to thirty five. <clears throat> they said to one another, "Were not our hearts burning within us while He was speaking to us on the road?" while he was explaining the scriptures to us. And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Okay. So what they do they do when they realize who they have been with? Did Jesus tell them to do that? So what does that suggest? When Jeff and Tess had a grandbaby the other week, did anybody have to tell them, you should tell other people? Kind of um, happened, didn't it? Good news just bubbles up, right? just found out Jesus is alive. He was the one we thought that would redeem Israel, and he really did. <laughs> he really did come back to life, just like the scriptures said. i got to tell somebody. So they run. How far do they have to go? Seven miles. Seven miles. What time is it? Early in the morning. Well, it's at least sundown, right? Because Jesus has, they, they, when they tell Jesus they want him to stay, it's like it's already evening. So, they're going probably in the dark, seven miles. How long does it take to go seven miles on foot? Yeah. Pardon me? A long time. Long time? What, what, two and a half hours, maybe? Be a good pace? Two miles an hour or so? 
get back to Jerusalem. You already walked seven that morning <laughs> or that afternoon, so uh, they're getting a good hike in. But they obviously thought it was worth it to tell the disciples, we've got good news. And in um, verse 34, depending on what your translation is, um, I have the Lord is really risen, but some of you have the Lord is risen indeed. And you may remember on Easter Sunday for however many years now, we followed the rest of the world church <laughs> um, in starting the service with the Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. It comes from that verse. So that's why we do it. There's a scriptural reason, not just other churches around the world do this every Easter. It's because there's a verse that lends itself to it. So any comments or questions on that section? This is before the Holy Spirit has come, but it does seem interesting that it says their hearts were burning. It just makes me think of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting. I don't know if it's probably not the Holy Spirit considering it's before the Pentecost. Yeah, it is before Pentecost. Holy Spirit can still make your heart burn before Pentecost, I suppose. I mean, the Holy Spirit can do what he wants, but... um, No, good observation, though. So, let's keep going then. 36 to 38... So how did the disciples process the appearance of Jesus himself? There's five things you can observe about how they react. Terrified. Okay, startled or terrified, right, or frightened. So startled, I guess that's separate. So frightened or startled? Troubled. Troubled, right, what else? Doubtful. Doubts. And they thought they're seeing a what? A ghost. A.K.A. ghost, right? So go to Matthew 14.29, or 14.26. Matthew 14. Um, let's start at 25 and 26, please. So disciples believe in ghosts, but they don't believe in resurrected Jesus. Right? Jesus himself is in the room. It's got to be a ghost. Okay? Don't hate, because we would be there too, right? Don't throw rocks. We're slow. It sounds like he just popped out of Well, yeah. And just the way it's... Normally would read, yeah. You would, it just says while they're talking. I mean, they're in mid story. We're on the road to Emmaus, blah 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 blah. And while they're speaking, he shows up. It's not a knock at the door. And and again, other gospels give us some of those details that you know he appears and the door was shut. Specifically, I think it's in John. So it's like just boom. <laughs> so. You can understand they'd be startled and frightened and seeing a ghost and troubled and doubtful. So Jesus 
what does he do to convince them? 39 through 40. Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. The ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. Okay, thank you. So what are the... How does Jesus try to reassure them it's really him and not a ghost? He has a physical body that they can touch. Right. So who else... So who isn't in the room at this point? Thomas. Thomas. What's his nickname? Okay. What should be the nickname of all the apostles? <laughs> I don't know why Thomas gets the bad rap. Everybody's like kind of in the doubt mode. It's because he wasn't there. Right. But they all start there with doubt. So here's just a question, no right answer. Did Thomas touch his hands and his side or not? So here's the options. One, yes, because Jesus told him to. And Thomas knows this is my Lord and my God, so I do what my Lord and my God tell me. And the other version is he didn't need to because right. he believes. And I could go either way. You can't die on that hill because the scripture doesn't tell us. Right. But the fact that you can offer touch me to the ten that are gathered here and to Thomas says this is not just a hallucination. Right? I can see him. And notice, again, how does he say, as far as see that is my I myself, what does he point to that they should look at? Hands. Hands and feet. So they will know it's Jesus and not just somebody else because there's nail prints in the hands and feet, which they can touch, which is what he does with Thomas. So... So you think that would be enough, right? No, it's not. So let's read 41 and 42, well, 41 to 43. 41 to 43, please. While they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Okay. So, I have a footnote that says it's literally while they were still disbelieving. The motive is better. It says, for joy. In other words, this is too good to be true. They just still don't believe. Right? I mean, is anybody seeing, oh, they absolutely believe this is Jesus is risen? No. <laughs> They're still doubting. Right? I think I, what I was just thinking about was sometimes you're so overwhelmed by something that is true that you even will say the words, I can't believe it. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you use that example of, of our granddaughter and She's here, and we can see her and touch her and hold her, and it's it's 
it's like part of that joy is almost disbelief that it's really happening because you're so filled with joy okay. that it's true. Right. So, yeah, it's a, it's a better kind of disbelief than just plain, I don't believe. <laughs> but it still seems short of really believing because Jesus didn't just say, okay, we'll call that belief. He does something more. What does he do? What's for supper? No, what what would what would that be about? Still the fleshly part of his body is hungry. Right? And so so it's physical there's a physical resurrection. We're not just talking about spiritual resurrection. The spirit of Jesus lives on. And the memory of Jesus. There's a body there that can eat a piece of fish and make it disappear down a mouth into a stomach. Okay? So ghosts don't do that. Hallucinations don't do that. Spirits don't do that. Only real live bodies can take a piece of fish and eat it. Okay? So that's <laughs> what it took. Okay? Scriptures said it all along. The women said the tomb is empty. An angel said he's alive. The tomb is empty. There's grave clothes still in it. It's the third day. He appears to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Um, no, and they're still not getting it even when they appears in the room. They're doubting and fearful and seeing a ghost. And it isn't until he eats a fish in front of them that they go, Oh! <laughs> I think maybe Jesus rose from the dead. So here's a point from that. The disciples are not gullible, soft-headed people who just want to believe a resurrection in spite of the evidence against it. They are skeptical, hard-nosed, slow to believe in spite of the evidence for it. So they don't make this up. This is against their resistance and unbelief. And then they get it, which is actually another evidence of the reality of it. In fact, in Matthew's account of the Great Commission, right before that it says, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Right? And it's not every day somebody rises from the dead, folks. But he really did. And they were slow to believe it, but wow, once they're convinced, they really believe. <laughs> Which really transforms them from a Peter who's afraid of a servant girl on Monday, Thursday, to seven weeks later, preaching in this city where Jesus was executed and just being bold as can be. Mm-hmm. Only the resurrection of Jesus could account for that change in Peter and the rest of them. So any comments or questions on this appearance of Jesus to the disciples? Pastor, it makes me think of um, when I was going through an Alpha course based in Morningside Baptist, and I'd been sitting there listening to Nicky Gumbel explain the, the basic tenets of the, the Christian faith, and I'd been experiencing doubt. Um, it kind of unbelief had finally yielded to just doubt the point of doubt okay. and then there was a moment as he explained as he was explaining um, atonement in a very basic way that it dawned on me hmm. and I realized that Jesus was alive and hmm. he was the son of God hmm. and I, I, I can still remember <coughs> the way that felt sure. just the joy and the amazement and the, the understanding that I, I could basically understand the, the free gift of 
salvation and that, that I could be forgiven and, and have new life. And it was like right now, and it was just just amazing. It just, it just I just see that in in this passage that we all get to you know share in that and experience it. And as you were said that, Bob, I just thought of you know Acts 16, and the Lord opened Lydia's heart right. to respond to the things spoken by Paul. The Lord has to open our hearts. For, you know, when when Peter's asked, who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus doesn't say, wow, oh, Peter, you're really smart. You get it. He says, blessed are you, Peter, because flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven revealed that to you. So none of us figures out who Jesus is. None of us understand Jesus' death and resurrection. None of us understand anything until and unless... The Spirit gives us grace and changes our hearts and opens our minds and opens our eyes to see and embrace Christ. So 100% of salvation is of God. Not just the work of atonement and now you add your two cents worth. God does it all, including awakening us to life and faith and Repentance, all are gifts from God. Any other thoughts or comments on this appearance? Okay, let's read 44 to 49, please. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from Thank you. So where does Jesus start with the disciples after they realize they're talking to the risen Jesus? Remember what I said. Okay, remember what I said. It sounds like what the angel said to the ladies. Remember what Jesus said. And then what, where does he go from there? The law of Moses and the prophets. And the psalm. So basically, the whole Old Testament is pointing to me, and it must be fulfilled. No other version of reality than the prophecies of the Old Testament being fulfilled. And then there again, look at the, he opened their minds to understand Scripture. See how dependent we are? When you open your Bible for a quiet time, or listen in a sermon, or a science class, we're dependent on God to open our minds to understand. It's not just about intelligence. Okay. What message are the disciples given to proclaim? Repentance and forgiveness of sins. Okay, good, good. So what's repentance? Turning around, doing a spiritual U-turn, going from a, away from God to God. Forgiveness of sins, of course, is taking our sins away. Um... Where's that forgiveness found? In Christ. 
right, or in his name. So think of Peter is there hearing that. So in Acts 4, Lord willing, we're going to start Acts as the sequel to Luke. Let's go to Acts 4.12. Let me read that, please. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Okay, and then would somebody read Acts 10, 43, same Peter. To him all the prophets witness that through his name whoever believes in him will receive permission of sins. Okay, so name is not just... That's what you call Jesus. Name is shorthand for all that is revealed to be true about Jesus. Mm-hmm. All his titles, all his attributes, all his works. Name is just a summary of everything. So to say repentance, forgiveness of sin in his name and salvation in his name means everything that's true about Jesus. Just a piece here and a piece there, but ideally a, a, a well-rounded, full-orbed, revelation of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. Um, who is this message for? Okay, what's a nation? What's an English word that is very common for that Greek word? Okay, eth- ethnic. So people group the same thing, but all ethnos are ethna. So Ethnic groups or people groups, in other words, groups of people united by a common language and culture. So not just about the United States and Canada and Mexico. We're talking about Uzbeks and Tajiks and all kinds of people groups. Um, Interstate the other day passed a sign, um, headquarters for the Winnebago Nation. Seen that on I twenty nine? It's a nation. It's a people group. It's this what we would call an Indian tribe or Native American tribe, and they're identified as a nation, Cherokee Nation. You've heard that phrase before. So it's this entity that lives within a country, a political nation. But nations is people groups, ethnic groups. Okay, so and it's for everybody, not just Jewish people living in Palestine, not just American people. It's all. The whole bunch, right? So what do you see in Revelation? Who's gathered around the throne? Yeah, every people, a tongue, and tribe, and nation. So this gets fulfilled. It happens. With us, through us, or in spite of us, that will happen. The nations will be gathered by Jesus. Okay. So... You're, that's the only sure thing, really, there is. Death, taxes, and the nation's being gathered. <laughs> okay, where are they supposed to start? In Jerusalem, yeah. Right, where are they now? Jerusalem. Okay, so what is that? I and mean, that's this is just cheap, but... So, so we suggest start where you are, right? Yeah, you're, you're living in Jerusalem now? Start Jerusalem. And then you're going to branch out to Judea and Samaria and the rest of the world. And we'll see that is the outline of the book of Acts. They're going to start in Jerusalem, and we'll have several chapters of Jerusalem. And then 
They're going to branch into Judea, and then they're going to go into Samaria. Pretty soon, the whole Roman Empire by the time the book of Acts is done. So Acts follows that plan of going to the nation, starting where you are. What is a witness? Anybody ever been a witness in a courtroom or a traffic accident? What does that mean? Tell the story the way you saw it. Okay, that's, that's a good definition. Somebody who's seen something and knows something and has heard something and can accurately share it with somebody else, right? So I remember witnessing a traffic accident and we stuck around until the police got there and several of us shared what we saw. Okay, we were witnesses. I went into a child custody trial and shared my testimony as a witness of who I thought would be the better person for getting custody. So it's sharing what you know, what you've seen and heard firsthand. So they have firsthand experience with the living Jesus. They're going to share that with other people now, starting in Jerusalem, but eventually the whole world. Exactly. Yeah. Same thing on it. Right. Yeah, don't underestimate the power of personal testimony. Um, I love the man born blind. You know, they're you know, trying to get all these in. Well, who is he? What do you do? Like, all I know is once I was blind, now I see him. And Jesus did it. You know, hopefully we can advance a little bit beyond that. But to share... Yeah, I used to be this way, and now I'm this way. It's Jesus that made the difference in my life. That's being a witness. It's not, I have to get through the four spiritual laws every time from beginning to end, and I can't deviate from that outline. It's just like, share what God has done in your life through Jesus. And, and there's, that's a lot more natural than thinking, I have to do this canned presentation in every, uh, every interaction I have. You know, be who you are, share what you know, share who you know. And uh, so thank you, Lord, for bringing that up. What will they need and what will we need to carry out this mission? Somebody already said the Holy Spirit. Okay, the Holy Spirit, and what does he call it here? Power from on high, and then what you might be noticing is some of this is going to show up at the beginning of Acts, right? right? So that's why we automatically fill in Holy Spirit because that's the language Acts one uses, um, and so that's good because Luke Luke wrote the book of Luke to Theophilus, and he's going to write part two to Theophilus, and so he's going to start with a review of the end of his book. And he says, this is, the first account was what Jesus began to do and teach. And Acts is what Jesus continues to do and teach through his apostles, which is why it's called the Acts of the Apostles. What Jesus is doing through the apostles in his world as the risen Christ. So they will need and we will need the Holy Spirit. Um, so any comments or questions on that? Right. Well, okay, Moses. Um, 
I was just thinking, is this like an appropriate application of how we see they're in Jerusalem and he tells them to start there? Can we apply that to ourselves? Like, although it's good to have an eye, let's say, for missions to go out of the country and go preach in a far off land, um, to have that mindset, you know, start where we're at, you know, start in Sudan. There's plenty of people here that haven't heard the word preached. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, so, and we don't want to make up. We don't want to divide what God has joined together. So, so we're called to do both. And, and we don't want to say, well, local's not important because foreign is, or foreign's not important because local. It, it, let's do it all. <laughs> let's be engaged in both. Um, again, whether it's just sharing word of testimony with a neighbor or coworker, or helping support our international partners get there, or sending them emails to encourage them, or giving money to help get them there. Um, we're, we're to be engaged in all of it, not just pick and choose and go, yeah, I'm not really into local evangelism. I just like missions because I can do that from my living room. Um, you know? Um, so, yeah, good point, Moses. So, yeah, not either or, but both and would be what I want to say there. The amazing thing is that local missions has become international. Absolutely. Yeah, the world is coming to us. Um, College campuses, lots of international students. Sioux City, of course, has a lot of international people here for different reasons. So, yeah, you don't have to get on a plane and cross an ocean to reach internationals, that's for sure. All right, well, let's end on the end of Luke, 50 to called the Ascension. Jesus goes back to the Father in heaven. And what kind of responses does Luke record about the disciples? What do they what do they do? They worship him. Okay. They're worshiping Jesus. What else? Great joy. Great joy. So not just a little bit of joy, a lot of joy, as they worship Jesus. And then what do they do? Praise and bless God. Right. They go to the temple and praise God. So so it, all this good news about the death and resurrection of Christ overflows into worship and joyful praise. Hmm. <laughs> Don't you think that would be a fitting way to go from here, talking about the death and resurrection of Christ, going into roughly the comparable, <laughs> going into the temple with joyful praise, worshiping Jesus. So that's, I thought, would be a good note to end on. Um, Guys, they didn't just go. They were, they were there continually. Right, so yeah. Yeah, I, I would say don't come tomorrow because, you know, nobody else will be here except me, but um, at least come every Sunday and we can uh, get in on that. Sure. So let's close in prayer. And I think I'll ask Patrick to pray. Lord, I pray that we just thank you for the testimony um, that we have from these apostles, Lord, and that it was handed down to us and that the joy that they have we also share in. Um, Lord, we just thank you and we pray that we would um, come to you with a joyful heart this morning. 
that you would help us to also be witnesses as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.